Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top-of-mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. I'm Amy Rojek, Director of BDO Center for Governance, and I'm very happy to have the chance to sit down with a fellow colleague, Andrea Greco, who is a Managing Director in BDO's Management Advisory Services Practice, and he specializes in supply chain consulting. So today we'll be discussing the board's role in overseeing ESG risk mitigation and compliance practices as they relate to supply chain management. But first, a little bit about Andrea. He's responsible for leading the BDO supply chain and procurement service line in the U.S., but prior to joining BDO, Andrea was the global chief procurement officer at CBRE, Tyco, and Unisys, and chief operating officer at FILA. Previously, he was a member of the supply chain leadership team at a big four firm's consulting practice in Europe and the U.S., focusing on the automotive, aerospace, and consumer products industry sectors for clients such as Ferrari, Ford, Whirlpool, and Kellogg's. He has extensive experience leading the strategic direction and operational improvements of procurement and supply chain organizations, including strategic sourcing, vendor management, P2P implementations, supply chain ESG initiatives, as well as logistics, distribution, and manufacturing operational improvements at a global level. In recent years, Andrea has focused on the ESG aspects of supply chain management, developing methodologies and processes to address scope three carbon emissions, forced labor compliance, and other sustainability and governance requirements, as well as corporate goals. So Andrea, with that, I want to welcome you to the program. Thank you very much, Amy. I'm happy to be here discussing these very important issues in today's business world, and I uh, look forward to our discussion. Great. All right, let's let's dive in then, shall we? So, let's start out. Maybe you can give us an overview of what is the board's role in the oversight of supply chain resilience and compliance. Well, Amy, uh, supply chain resilience has been a growing concern for companies in all sectors, especially after the disruptions that were caused by the pandemic and the social unrest in several parts of the world. We experienced firsthand and in an unprecedented way how the suppliers' performance and risks have a definite impact on a company's results and financial well-being. Also, uh, recent new ESG regulations and incentives for example, the UFLPA in the US, Force and Child Labor Legislation in Canada, the European Forced Labor Regulations, Scope 3 Emissions Reporting Requirements, make the risk of disruption more serious and imminent, but also offer the opportunity to capture ESG financial and operational benefits through supply chain management. I am convinced that boards play a key role in overseeing the ESG risk mitigation and compliance practices within the supply chain. And boards should ensure that there is a solid plan in place to address these issues. More specifically, boards should set clear expectations with a C-suite on how companies need to intimately understand their extended supply chain and suppliers. 
The first step is to explicitly include supply chain risk in the enterprise risk management processes and require detailed action plans to address and mitigate such risks. For example, disruption from geopolitical events, identification of critical supply chain paths and their vulnerability, supplier concentration and geographic distribution, regulatory environment, and the rest of these issues. Now, I appreciate all of that that you just recommended for our audience because risk management is rapidly becoming even more important to the board's agenda. And topping that off with specific issues around supply chain management and other kind of, I'll, I'll put in quotes, ESG topical areas, because ultimately the company is trying to find a path to sustain its profitability and, and, and everything else. So, so maybe you could share with us what the board needs to be aware of in order to mitigate the ESG risk of supply chain disruption due to the lack of ESG compliance. Yes, and I would say based on what we just discussed, uh, we all know and are aware that suppliers have become an integral part of a company's ESG performance against targets and against and to, uh, compared to laws. And therefore, suppliers have now an outsized impact on operational and financial performance of a company. In fact, several regulatory authorities request now detailed due diligence and risk mitigation uh, in the supply chain. For example, the US UFLPA, which stands for Weaker Forced Labor Prevention Act, prohibit the importation of goods into the US that are made in full or in part. And importantly, there is no de minimis exception. So not even an ounce of that product can be made with forced labor. Uh, and in this vein, the U.S. Border and Customs Authorities have already begun to seize cargo that was under the presumption of forced labor to do its provenance. The only defense against the presumption of forced labor content is the submission of detailed documentation and mapping of a company's supply chain. And then besides the UFLPA, other regulations in the U.S. and other countries also pose risks and opportunities, especially with regards to climate impact mitigation, health and safety regulations, and supply chain diversity. So there is a whole new universe that companies need to be aware of and uh, react to in order to maintain their uh, business performance and their financial health. Could you give an example? We we hear so often about the risk side of all of these areas, and then you just mentioned the opportunity side. So can you give us a, maybe an example or two of the opportunities that companies might be pursuing? Yes, and I'll do that with a, an analogy. Back in the early 2000s, when um, after 9-11, the U.S. was much more active in protecting their borders, even against potential uh, attacks that came through the supply chain. Uh, they started a partnership with the business um, in order to map and document their supply chain and therefore guarantee that there were enough controls to prevent bad actors from utilizing products that were imported into the US to do something nefarious. Um, the same way I see it here, first of all, if you have the due diligence and the knowledge of your supply chain, you can refute, for example, the presumption of forced labor that the UFLPA regulations put in place. 
um, other opportunity. So it, your supply chain will be in that case will be smoother. There will be less disruption because you have uh, looked at at it in in a more detailed way. Um, another example of opportunities are uh, tax benefits and incentives that uh, governments are putting in place for companies that are able to positively impact carbon emissions, uh, as well as uh, supplier diversity and other environmental, social and governance issues and governance issues around this space. No, the great examples, great examples. Thank you for indulging me on that one, because, you know, we always sound like doom and gloom. I'd like to <laughs> highlight where I can the, the opportunities that exist for, for corporations and their boards. So I, so I guess with all of this, who does the board really need to be collaborating with and who should they be requesting reporting from within the organization or externally to the organization as it may be? Yeah, in my experience, the primary actors and people to collaborate with within a company are operational leaders, including procurement, manufacturing, and supply chain C-level executives and their teams. So it's important to bring in the people that are really managing and influencing how our supply chain works, the ones that are selecting uh, the suppliers that we work with, and the ones that have the ability to make changes as necessary to comply or to uh, take the opportunities that are presented by the new uh, regulations. Uh, the implementation of the strategies, mitigation strategies, will also require active involvement of the customs compliance organization and the IT function in order to craft a comprehensive and sustainable solution. Right. So like just like everything else that, that companies are dealing with, it's more of a multidisciplinary approach to this. So, yes, so maybe, because it, it really impacts the entire organization and it crosses multiple functions. Those that are directly involved within the supply chain resilience practices are procurement and supply chain professionals. So maybe you can share some of the better practices you're seeing with respect to board oversight in this area. Yeah, I would say the common theme is ask questions, right, and make sure that there is evidence of these programs. So the first question is whether the company has mapped their supply chain and knows their third-party vendors beyond tier one globally. Generally, most advanced procurement and supply chain organizations will know who their direct suppliers are, tier one, and some, in some cases, tier two. But unfortunately, these regulations require really understanding all the way through your raw materials the chain of suppliers and product movements that happen, where they're made, where they are stored, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So um, understanding and mapping your supply chain is step number one. The second question is really requesting evidence of process and policies for supplier onboarding and data management, that those are in place and followed. The third question is to ensure that adequate technology exists to collect and maintain very large amounts of supplier data and documentation. In a uh, normal average supplier discovery exercise, a software company that we partner with to do these exercises uh, said that they discover an average of 20,000 new suppliers. So the, the data uh, requirements and the data quantity is very large and it requires some technology support. And then finally, um, 
verifying that a solid supplier management program exists within the company. And these are put in place to work with third-party vendors to mitigate supply chain disruption due to ESG compliance issues. One example of this at CBRE during the COVID emergency, the relationships and the strategic partnerships that CBRE had allowed the company to be put uh, in front of others when requiring certain products or services that would otherwise have not been available because of the disruption in the supply chain that had just occurred. Got it. Thank you. So maybe do you have any examples to share regarding perhaps companies' journeys with respect to ESG supply chain management? Yes, although this is a relatively new area, at least for some of these regulations, some industry sectors uh, have already made significant progress in mapping and understanding their global supply chains to document and manage their ESG performance. Examples of these industry sectors are healthcare, devices and drugs, textile, food, um, and that was because their business model really made it imperative for these companies to understand their supply chains better and making sure that there were the right uh, guardrails and controls around ESG performance. But now other industries are coming to the realization that they need to act quickly. For example, in March of this year, the United States Senate Finance Committee questioned five top suppliers to eight major U.S. automakers about potential forced labor in the supply chain linked to the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region of China. Automotive has been the primary target of cargo seizure suspected of containing goods made with forced labor in the Uyghur Autonomous Region in northwest China. I suspect that this will go beyond automotive and impact several other sectors um, within our economy. Um, another example is through my experience with as the chief procurement officer at CBRE. CBRE buys north of $80 billion in products and services, and supply chain ESG has grown in importance, starting with the board and the CEO and then cascading to the rest of the organizations. CBRE, in fact, made several commitments to supplier diversity, uh, as well as carbon footprint management and reduction. And this became very visible to the top of the organization and therefore then adopted and embraced by the rest of the company. In order to address these goals of building a sustainable supply chain, CBRE embarked three years ago in a program to improve supplier onboarding and data management to ensure that third-party vendors are compliant with labor, health and safety, and environmental regulations and corporate goals and established a leading edge strategic and preferred supplier program to better collaborate with suppliers on these issues. In general, I would say that supplier due diligence and onboarding requirements vary depending on the specific risk and opportunity that's being addressed. And the questions that are asked, the questionnaires that are sent to suppliers range from general questions about company structure, policies, financial situation and company structure, to much more detailed informations, including affidavits and documentations relative to their operations. In some cases, these checks extend to on-site third-party factory visits to certify that labor, HNS, and other practices are in place and compliant with laws and company policies and regulations. 
Again, if we go back to the case of the forced labor regulation, documentation of the physical production location, movement and chain of custody of the shipment level is required by the authorities to release a shipment that's suspected of forced labor content. Many companies are now requiring that their suppliers have a minimum score assigned by Ecovadis relative to their supply chain sustainability practices and results. So even if you're not yourself uh, obligated to this, your customers may require that you uh, obtain this score and therefore that you have an ESG uh, program extending into the supply chain. So for these reasons, a careful design of the due diligence, onboarding and ongoing supplier management processes is a critical first step. And it can be done on a risk-based approach so that you focus on a subset of the supply chain and prioritize more critical areas rather than dispersing the efforts across the entire supplier in universe, which can be too cumbersome and expensive. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. And, it, you know, we're talking about some major sectors where supply chain management, supply chain management, pardon me, is really, really impactful to the operations of the business. But we're also looking at companies where, you know, like BDO, where we do get requests from our customers. We do have to adhere to information that Ecovatus is putting out. And, you know, and that's really forced, you know, a financial services firm, for lack of a better word, to to really, you know, focus in on, you know, who are we procuring from? What does that look like? How, how are we transacting and doing business that we may or may not be aware of? So it's really, you know, it's very enlightening, all of these rules and regulations that are coming from far and wide. And it's, you know, just another thing that boards really have to be aware of and understand the depth of and ensure that they have quality controls and quality programming, you know, within the organization to capture all of this information. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I would say I am happy that these efforts are now in place because it is impacting society in a good way, you know, avoiding forced labor, avoiding child labor, improving our climate impact performance are all things that are good for society and good for the world we live in. But we also have to make sure that companies can do it in a way that is financially sensible uh, and that they maintain the core uh, goals of profitability and shareholder value. Very well said. Well, Andrea, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, Please stay tuned for more episodes of BDO in the Boardroom. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash BDO Boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit bdo.com slash BDO Knows Governance.